Thank you, Pastor Jordan, for leading us so powerfully before the throne of God in prayer. Good morning, church. Church, as we begin today, I want to testify to the power and authority of God. Last Saturday, my mother-in-law was in the hospital, and she had to go in for emergency surgery. At the end of the surgery, the doctors called us in and said that, uh, that she's probably not going to make it through the next hour and that we should pray or we should say goodbye. They didn't say pray. And the doctors came in and they made the judgment call that she wasn't going to pull through. But we as God's people who have learned to trust God and to seek him above the authority of man appealed to God and asked him to come. We asked God to visit our room and that he would be God in this moment and that he would exercise authority over things, uh, over evidence that is proven by man. I remember at that moment I've asked God, I said, God, you know, the reality of our family at this moment, God, please don't do this. And one hour turned into two hours, and our pastors came, and we began to pray, and we began to seek, out to seek God out. And that morning, she was still fighting. And that afternoon, she was getting better. And that next day, the doctor who said that you have about an hour, he came in and he said, this is unheard of. He said, this is, uh, this is something for the books. This one's for the books because uh, this doesn't happen. And we saw the power of God manifest itself right before our very eyes. I saw a miracle. And, yeah, amen. And I didn't share this part with the first service because my wife is here. She'll probably hear this online. But I received a text message later that day. It was from my wife. Text message read, on I'm trying with all my strength to trust in the Lord during this health moment of my own life. And last night I saw a miracle happen. I saw God do something that I've never seen before. He heard our prayers and he answered them. And I'm believing in a miracle for my own life. I'm asking the Lord to come. And I wrote back to her, I said, I love you and I'm so thankful that we get to do this life together. I'm so thankful that you're my wife, and I know that God has much work for us to do to testify to his name. So we are going to pray for that miracle, and we are going to press in. And even though there is the authority of man, we stand on the authority of Christ. And this morning, that is what we're talking about. See, Jesus declared that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. The people said that he taught with authority, not like the scribes, not like the teachers of the law, but one who, had, who could command the scriptures. God the Father said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Jesus reveal, revealed that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And in Mark 2.27, the God-man declared himself Lord even over the Sabbath. See, Jesus the Christ, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he rebuked the evil spirits, he challenged the religious elite, he helped the poor, he cared for the outcast. Jesus the Christ loved the woman accused, the accused woman caught in adultery. He gave sight to the blind. He gave a son back to his mother after meeting them on a road during the funeral procession. 
He resurrected his friend Lazarus. He raised to life a little 12-year-old girl, and he did all of that while preaching about the kingdom of God. All the while, the crowds came, and the excitement built, and the excitement and the news about Jesus spread through the towns like wildfire. And the scriptures record, even while he was alone, he prayed. He counseled his disciples. He taught about the kingdom of God. He revealed the parables to them. See, our God walked on water. He rebuked a storm. He multiplied a young boy's lunch to feed 5,000 plus men twice. And during Passion Week, he walked into the temples and flipped the tables, reminding all that could hear, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations? See, Jesus has authority. He declared it. He displayed it. But do we believe it? Jesus is back in the temple and the religious leaders, unable to ignore him, are attempting to shame, discredit, or quiet him to prove that they are in charge. But Jesus stands his ground and the leaders leave frustrated, embarrassed, and ready to form a plan to bring him down. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn to Mark eleven twenty-seven, where we will read about the authority of Christ and how it is questioned. As you're turning there, let me pray. Father, I know a lot of people praying for this service this morning. And we are praying that your authority will be demonstrated. That your people who are called by your name would come and submit themselves to you. God, that you would bring healing, that you would bring um, an opportunity for us to to stand in your presence and and talk to you and, and to do business with you. God, we believe in the authority of Jesus. God, we love you so very much, and we need your help this morning to know and understand how to love you and how to walk in newness of life. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's read the word of God together. Uh, Mark 11, verse 27. The authority of Jesus is challenged. Verse 27, then they came again to Jerusalem... And he was walking in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, they came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to him, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from man, from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they held held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables, and Mark records for us this parable. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants, and then went to another country. When the season came, he sent his servants to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him, and they beat him, and they sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head, and they treated him shamefully. And And they sent another, and him they killed. 
And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one, one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and they killed him and they threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Will he come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others? Have you not read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is what the Lord is doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him, and they went away. This is the reading of God's word. May I add a blessing to it this morning. See, Jesus on Passion Week is in the temple, and this morning the crowds are forming. And Mark reveals that the religious elite has gathered to question Jesus. And on this day, we're not talking about second-rate citizens who came to Jesus to propose this question. This is the very imposing delegation made up of individuals like Caiaphas, the high priest, and Anis, the father-in-law, who, who was regarded as virtual high priest at the time. And not only that, but the scribes, the body of men who interpret the law of Moses, and the elders those who are officially appointed to serve in the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the nation. This was the imposing August Council, the Jewish heads of state under the overarching rule of Rome who came to Jesus with a question. The goal? Challenge Jesus' credentials, embarrass him in front of the crowds, and prove that they are in control. And if they couldn't do that, maybe they could catch Jesus blaspheming and then have him arrested. Literally like turning on the TV and watching CNN. People who have been appointed to a job and all they care about is just tearing down another person. They set the trap and they ask the question, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you authority to do these things? The these things is a reference to him coming into the temple and seeing the money changers and the people who are taking advantage of the poor who are coming in there and they want to make sacrifice to God, he comes in and he sees them and he begins to flip the tables and drive them out. Jesus is putting a stop to spiritual soul abuse. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do it? The trap is set. See, we as the church need to lean in a little bit this morning and listen. We need to know the authority of God and how it plays out in our lives. And when you look up the definition of authority, you get this. You, it, it is defined as the power or right to give orders, to make decisions, and even enforce obedience. See, the religious leaders and we as the church, we really need to know, does Jesus have the power to back up his promises? Does Jesus have the right to give us orders? Does Jesus have the ability to make eternal decisions? And does he have the right to enforce obedience? By what authority and who gave you this authority? What a powerful question for us to know and understand, and it's great that Mark has recorded that for us here today so that we can lean in and learn. Because the authority of God and the position of God in our lives is, is very important. And what our Lord does under that moment of pressure is very revealing. See, the first goal, the very goal that the religious elite was trying to execute, Jesus completes. What he does first is 
coolly, cool and under calmness is examine their credentials. Credentials is a qualification, a, an achievement, a personal quality or aspect of a, a person's background, typically when used to indicate if, if they're suitable for something. Are these people suitable to lead the nation? Are they qualified to speak on behalf of God? Are they leading the nation in obedience to God? Are they completing their assigned task before God? Jesus challenges them, then he predicts their downfall. And we see this by one question that is picked up in verse 29 of chapter 11. Jesus said, I will ask you one question. One question. That's all it's going to take. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or from man? Tell me. You see, the response of the master at this moment to respond to their question with a question is not an invasion of the question. He wasn't trying to dance around that. But it was the very exposure of the denial and rejection of those who held, who were the leaders in the nation. Jesus was going to use this, this moment to make these guys look like a fool, to make these guys know and understand that they've been called to a specific position, they've been put into power, and they are dropping the ball. Notice his question. He asks about the baptism of John, not the ministry of John, nor does he ask about John himself. He asks, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? You see, the baptism of John was something that was different. It was something new. It was startling. That had never occurred before. The priests, of course, they had many washings connected to their duties under the Levitical system, but this was always done in, a, in the temple according to the prescribed ritual. But John was different. John was not a priest, but he baptized. And he did it in the rivers and streams where he could find enough water to get people under. We even read when John, in John's account that he warns, he says to the Pharisees, the scribes, he says, who warned you, you vipers, to flee from the coming wrath? John is out in the wilderness baptizing for the repentance of sin. And Jesus asks that question. John's baptism would immediately arouse the question, by what authority do you give us this new ritual in Israel? You are bypassing the temple. Jesus seizes upon that and asks these men, what do you think of John's innovation here? Was it from God or men? Notice again how he simplifies the, the issue, clearing away all non-essentials. Are you for me? Are you against me? I'm going to draw a line in the sand. Just imagine for a second as they gather together. The crowds are watching. They're hauling up their robes and forming the most sinister and an unholy huddle ever recorded in human history they get together, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, and, they, and it says this in Mark. They discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't we believe him? That's a great question. If all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ, why don't we believe him? But if we say, oh, human, of human origin, they feared the people, for everyone held that John was really a prophet. See, take notice of these, these leaders who are called to, to minister to the people, to serve in, uh, in the temple. Take notice of what they didn't do. They didn't discuss theology or doctrine or the scriptures or prophecy, nor did they take into account any of the miracles that they personally witnessed Jesus do. 
See, the very ones who were called to lead the people in truth cared only about popularity and politics, and they ignored the truth. Their response, we don't know, but they did know. They did know, and they lied, because these Pharisees, these, these men who've been called to do a specific position, were drunk on power. When I was in my first year of Bible college, I, I would have to drive 40 minutes to the school, and there was a church that was connected to our Bible college. It was a Wesleyan church, because I went to a Wesleyan Arminian school, um, Sussex Wesleyan in, in Sussex, New Brunswick. We would go there, and we would partner with this church to, to kind of learn how to pray and, and uh, serve in the youth group and serve in the bands and stuff. And within my first few months there, I got to know the youth pastor at the church. His name was Pastor Phil, and him and I became good friends. We went on a trip to New York together. We led some college teams. And one morning I was driving to school very early and I got a phone call from Pastor Phil. Pastor Phil was at the church and he said that he couldn't get a hold of his wife, Jamie, or to, with anyone at the church, but he was in the youth room setting up for an event that was happening that night and he was moving the couch by himself and he pulled his back. And he called me and asked if I could come to the church and help him. So I said, yeah, I'll be right down. So I leave class and I go down and I'm banging on the doors. The custodian lets me in. We find Phil with his with his booty in the air, his face on the ground, and he can't move. And uh, at that moment, we begin to help him, and the senior pastor comes around the corner, and he says, okay, let's get Pastor Phil to the hospital. So I get in the vehicle with this pastor, and we get Phil to the hospital, and after about 30 minutes of being at the hospital, I asked the pastor to take me back to the church so that I could get my vehicle and go back to class. And I didn't know this pastor at all. His name was Rob, Pastor Rob. And we got into the vehicle and he said, so you want to be a pastor? I said, yes. And he says, well, son, I'm going to tell you three things that you need to watch out. He says, you need to watch your ways and protect yourself against these areas and you will do well. He says, because most leaders inside the church and outside the church, it doesn't matter. They fall, they fall to this temptation. They fall prey to these things. And I want to let you know, as a young guy who's just starting out, to guard your heart against these three things. The first thing he said was money. He said, the pursuit of money will destroy any leader in the faith. He says, ministry is not about getting rich. Ministry is about trusting in God in every part of your life, including your bank account. He said, you will find yourself amazed that God comes through in the clutch and provides what you need, not what you want. Ministry is not about what you want. Don't be tempted don't be hauled off for your pursuit of money. He said, the second thing that you need to know and be aware of is sex. He says, do not touch or look at anything that doesn't belong to you. He said, watch your ways carefully and check your motives by your heart and your heart by the standard of God's word, not by your feelings. Your feelings will lead you astray. He said, what will happen is you'll start justifying away the things of God. He said, eyes on Christ, not on flesh. Protect yourself against sex. And he said the last one and the most appealing one for people in our ministry and people in ministry is power. He said, as a pastor, your position is from God. And if he wants to change your position, he has full authority to do that. But never seek out or touch something that doesn't belong to you. He said, remember David was on his, he was running from his, he was running, running from Saul and he ended up in a, in a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself and his whole army is there and he could have ended that problem right there, but he didn't. It says that he, he snuck up and he cut a corner of the edge off of Saul's garment and then he showed it to him and he said that the one the Lord has anointed, I will not put my hand upon. He says, do not touch things that don't belong to you, especially other people's positions. He says, make sure that you are upholding the people that God 
has put into place praying for them, not speaking ill against them and helping them. Power is a great, power has the potential to corrupt and cause you to abuse your leadership scope and, and it will just hurt people. So many people are hurt within the church when the church leaders take their eyes off Jesus and start serving their own agenda. See, the religious leaders will be removed because of their pursuit of power motivated, motivated by pleasing man, not by obeying God. See, politicking and popularity ruled the day that, and not much has changed. And when people compromise the scriptures because they want people to like them or respect their position, or they use their position to not uphold the truth, but to play favoritism, these actions mimic Satan himself. Look at me, look what I've done, look what I, I can do. Worship me, for I am great. Please give me praise. You see, some leaders want to be in authority, but they do not want to be un under authority. And all leadership positions bring a risk of corruption. And when you challenge a leader, don't be surprised that they go to the extremes to keep that position. Because even right now, as we read in the scriptures, the ones who were called to keep the law, 613 laws in the Leviticus law that they knew and understood, these guys even tithed out of their spice rack. They were given a tenth of their dill to the things of God are now contemplating and will break the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. You see, leaders want to be in authority, but not under authority. They want to call the shots, but never be called on their own commands, demands, nor do they want to explain themselves. In the 17 years of ministry, I've, I've pretty much boiled this down to, and this is just my thought, man seems to fall into two categories. We either fear God or we fear man. We are either trying to pursue God in the, and obey him, being responsive to the truth that he reveals and responsible to his power, or we're trying to please man, to manipulate them and to use them or to gain something from them. And this morning, our text shows that as well. The vipers try to dodge the question in their answer, we don't know. This exposed their hearts. It exposed their power and their position. They are not for God. They're not for the things of God. They're motivated by pleasing themselves and pleasing man. And Jesus is now calling these leaders to account. And Jesus replies, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. See, the religious mission, it didn't work. It failed. They didn't embarrass Jesus in front of crowds. They didn't expose him as the fraud they thought he was. They looked stupid in front of the people. How this must have enraged their hate even more. You see, Mark records for us, and I remember Pastor Rick teaching us about this, that the Pharisees went out and they began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. It's in Mark 3, 6. See, they wanted this guy dead. Remember John's gospel in John 18, 14 records that Caiaphas was the high priest that time and he prophesied and he was the one who would advise the Jews that it would be better for one man to die for the people. We can't overpower him. We can't outsmart him. Let's kill him. And our Lord has had enough. You see, in this moment, he comes right at them with a parable that will expose their wicked hearts. He speaks a parable, an allegory that is just like the clever trap that Nathan set for, the prophet Nathan set for David in the story of the ewe lamb. Nathan uses the line, you are the man. Jesus catches the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders in a similar trap. As I was studying this passage this week, I was looking, we go to our commentaries to kind of, kind of figure out what's, what's going on behind the scenes. And one of my commentaries said this, 
in reference to Jesus speaking this parable against the Pharisees. It says this, they were the major landlords in Israel and should naturally sympathize with the plight of the owner of the story. A story about a willful and murderous tenant would arise the air of any landholder until they realized that, the, that Jesus' allegory targeted them. They were the vile, incorrupt, deadbeat tenants of God's vineyard. And it mirrors the real-life story of the rejection of God's prophets, such as John the baptizer in the feminist plot against God's son. See, like David, they knew their guilt. They knew that they were guilty of the things that were done. And they knew that this was spoken against them. But unlike David, they did not repent when they were confronted with it. Sometimes we do that as well. There are, mo- there are multiple times where the Holy Spirit will bring us to a setting like this and he will convict us and we walk away. We don't, we don't go to God. We don't confess our sin. We don't allow him to bring healing to our hearts. We can't do this as a church. Last week, Pastor Rick pulled me into a, into a disciple, a, a real key discipleship moment, a straight out of the playbook of Jesus style training moment. Sitting before my rabbi, my teacher, Jesus, or Rick taught me that Jesus stood on the steps in the temple and declared, your leadership here is finished. It's done. And he brought them back to Jeremiah, the, the book of the prophet of Jeremiah, where he talked about the temple would be r- reduced to ruins. And not even 40 years later, Rome would come in and burn the place to the ground. And the religious leaders would be scattered. The great temple would be a mound of dirt. And the only way to salvation, let me say that again, the only way to salvation is through Jesus. There is no other way. The one standing in their face has become the stumbling block to the elders and the Pharisees. He is the doorway, the narrow road, the vine, the word made flesh. Jesus, the cornerstone, is the only way to peace with God. So what do we do about the leadership of the Pharisees and the chief priests and the teachers of the law? And what do we do when it comes to the authority of God as the church? It seems like we play out Passion Week all the time. Over and over in the life of the church, we cry out, Hosanna. Hosanna, please come and save us. Please come and and save my life, God. Please pull me from, from this moment. We say, God, come. And then God does come. And he brings healing, and he brings salvation. But when he comes, he also brings the authority to come into our lives and flip over the tables. Flip over the idols we have set up that lead us, lead us from God. And the response is, we question the authority of God. We question the if he has the power to back up his promises, if he has the right to give us orders, if he has the ability to make decisions that he has wisdom that is greater than what we are getting from men, does he have the right to enforce obedience upon us? See, what will happen is we'll ask God, save us, and then he'll flip these things up over in our lives, and then we will question his way for us. We question his power to protect us because sometimes we don't really want his help, and we don't want to come under the authority of Christ, but we do want his protection in guarding our power and our position and our sexual preferences and our finances. We want God to protect those things. We want Jesus to declare his authority over the things that make our lives comfortable. Just look at the prosperity gospel. Look how amazing that is, how people think it's so amazing that God is blessing us and he's given us a fortune. And if you are in sin or if you are sick, then you must be in sin. That's not true. 
In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome this world. Called out of darkness into marvelous light, amen. But it doesn't mean our walk will be easy. It means that we have full opportunity to trust in the authority of God. And church, please, let me share this with you. I'm walking in a whole other realm of authority. I used to chase after the things of men, but God has taught me in these moments and these, these, little, these little moments that I have with him that we need fully, I need fully to trust only in the authority of Jesus Christ and keep my eyes locked on him. We challenge and we question God when we don't get our way. And sometimes, sometimes, we even kill God. Unlike the religious leaders in our passage who actually were able to kill the Son of God, we kill God in a different way. See, we as the church, we do some things. Here are some signs that we have removed the authority of Christ in our lives. We heard some of it even in the testimony of the baptisms this morning. When we remove the authority of Christ in our lives, one of the things that begins to happen is we, start talk, we stop talking to him. We stop talking to, to God. We stop praying. Our prayers become less. And Paul challenges the church to pray without ceasing, ceasing but we begin to slow down our prayers. Not only that, we stop attending his praise gatherings. We look at church as something, oh, maybe I'll get to it, maybe one in four Four weeks of the month, I'll get there one. Maybe out of six weeks, I'll get there one time. We stop attending his praise gatherings. We stop investing in the things of God. We stop, we stop tithing and, and giving over to the things of God. We stop as ambassadors of Christ in his kingdom. We look for baskets to place over our life to stop shining for God. Not only do we stop, but we start. We start looking for ways to better our lives apart from God. We begin to complain and gossip about, about the things of God and complain to other church members how God hasn't pulled through. We start to protect our finances. We start to carve out more time for comfort. We look for ways to increase our own self-worth in the eyes of people. And do you see what happens when this slow fade happens? Look at it, where are we at? where we are at as a country. We question the authority of God and we deny he is, we say in our hearts that he is not capable, capable of truly leading us. And as you can see, our forefathers stepped aside and the godless now lead us. Do you know what happens when a church moves away from the authority of God? When a church moves away from the authority of God, we start pointing fingers at each other. We complain to other churchgoers and we fight with the leadership. We ignore the things happening in our society because we think it's too big of an issue. And what can we do? And we believe someone else will step up, speak up, and bring about change. We start to jockey for leadership positions. We begin to pursue selfish gain over Christ. We run and we hide. And we hide from our sin and we stop talking about sin. We stop talking about hell. We stop talking about the pursuit of Christ and the consequences of sin. And soon we are very far from God, looking for ways to plot against those ones trying to love and obey God. Look at churches who have moved away from the authority of Christ. They complain about other churches who are trying to hold fast to the teaching. And they look for, they look for ways to justify their own sin. 
You know what happens to a church that moves away from the authority of God? They kick open the doors for Satan to come in and attack the sheep. And eventually they scatter them. See, church, we are living in the tension of this Saturday of Passion Week. Like the disciples, if you read in Acts, they, Jesus died and they ran away. Some of them went back fishing. Some were hiding, fearing, discussing what will happen to us now. Well, the godless took it full advantage and moved forward. And even in our own country, when we step aside and we, allow the, we move the authority of Christ off our lives, we move aside and let the godless begin to make the rules, redefining marriage and playing God with the voiceless and the elderly, making rules to take away life that they deem is not important. They have no authority to do that. But we have let them do it. So church, what do we do? What do we do about the authority of Christ? Well, I petition you this morning to not lose hope, to not run and hide, and not dare doubt the power of our God, what he can do. Because weeping may tarry for the night, but oh joy, inexpressible joy that comes in the morning. There is a Sunday. There is a redemption day, an overcoming day, an all authority in heaven and on earth kind of day. Jesus is alive. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is calling us, the church, to come close even here this morning. He's inviting us by his grace to make him the king of our hearts and the Lord of our lives. God the Father said, this is the son, listen to him. He speaks with all power. He heals the broken and gives grace to the guilty. We get access to do business with the all-amazing God of creation. See, the church is expressing a, a longing for Jesus. See, he is the king and the son who will have the nations as his inheritance and the ends of the earth as his possessions, Psalm 2.8. He's the ultimate manifestation of the presence of God in, in, in whom we have fullness of joy and at whose right hand we have eternal pleasures, Psalm 16.11. He's the one who is poured out like water, whose hands and feet were pierced, whose garments were divided, and will be praised to the coming generations. He is the good shepherd who leads us among paths, along the right paths for the glory of God, Psalm 23.3. He is the one, he is the only one who can make our hearts pure and restore our joy to our salvation. And this morning, we are held in the hands of Jesus. And while we are being held in the hands of Jesus, our flesh and our emotions and our perceptions do battle with believing in the authority of God. The church has so many who has removed the authority of God in their life. And maybe you're here this morning and you're just barely holding on. I want to speak to you. So I speak to you, the one who is battling this morning with identity and worth. I want to say trust in Jesus today. In him, you have the righteousness of God placed on your life. You're valuable to him. Actually, God says you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the works he prepared for you in advance. He's got work for, to, for you to do. He sees you. He sees your life. You're worth something to him. Stop doubting your identity and place your trust in Jesus this morning who holds all authority.
I speak to you, the one who believes that God can't act in their marriage. For you who are struggling in your marriage with your marriage covenant, where you're not seeing eye to eye, where it wasn't like when you first began, where there's hurt and pain and you can't really even have a conversation because all you do is fight, God sees your covenant and he remembers it. What God has joined together, let no man or woman separate. I want to plead with you this morning to fight for your marriages. Be vulnerable. Say sorry. Forgive each other. Get in the room and talk. Pray. If you're having trouble in your marriage covenant right now, in this season, I challenge you to grab your spouse by the hand and just begin to pray. Start there. There's something about reaching out and praying to God that just comes and soothes the soul. Begin with prayer. Your marriage covenant is important. I speak to you this morning, the one who is is lonely and single and feels like they have nothing to offer. You do. Don't believe that lie. One thing I learned about prison ministry is when when they really want to train and, and really correct you, what they do is they take you away from general population and they put you by yourself so that you can go crazy. We know people, and I've done ministry, where they are locked up 23 hours a day, and that one hour of freedom where they get to look outside is the thing they long for the most. And sometimes in our singleness and sometimes in our loneliness, we feel that way. Please know that you have a body here that you can press into. You are, God's particip- you are called to participate in God's kingdom. Don't give up on the authority of God. I want to speak to you, the one who battles with pornography and substance abuse. I want to say to you this morning that God has the ability, the power, and the authority to break those chains. Week after week, Monday nights here at Calvary, we have a program. And we hear the testimonies of God, how he breaks the chains of substance abuse all the time. Anything that you're struggling with, we hear the testimonies of our God breaking those things and renewing people. Please, You do not have to live with these chains. Come to Jesus, who has all authority. Show up on Monday. I speak to you today, the one who is dead inside and who has been praying for so long. I've I've talked to you. I've sat with you. I've prayed with you. People come into this church week after week, and they sit in there, and they feel dead inside. And they feel as if God has, has, has turned their back on them. And their prayers just seem to bounce off the ceiling and come back down. He hears you. Don't give up. Don't give up your pursuit of Christ. I speak to you this morning, the, one who, the ones who are here in our midst who are longing to have kids, that are praying to hold a baby, to, to be a mom and a dad, who have gone through trouble, I want you to know that we are standing with you and that God is with you and he has all authority in heaven and earth. Don't give up. Don't give up pursuing him. Trust in him. I speak to you this morning, the one who has already given up praying. You've given up serving and you've given up, you've given up giving to God what is his. You come to the church week in and week out praying that maybe this week is, will change but it seems like it doesn't. I want to speak to you and I want to say, return to your first love. The God of heaven bends his ear down and listens to the prayers of his kids. Turn 
and come today. Repent and serve your God. And I speak to you, the one who is ready to give up. I want to remind you that God has not given up on you. See, the church is in authority in this world, but we are also under the authority of the great Savior. See, we are called to take care of the vineyard and to listen to the owner. So let's be good landlords by dealing with our sin and our fear and our doubt and restoring the, to the Lord, restoring the Lord of the harvest in his right place as Lord in our lives. Each of us must decide today if God will have ultimate authority or if we'll allow man to have ultimate authority. And as we close in prayer, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to invite you to deal with the things that are in your life before an all-powerful God who wants to meet with us today. This morning we prayed together and there was a power, powerful outpouring of God's ministry by the Holy Spirit. People came and they got prayed for. And we're going to do that again this morning. We're going to do business with God because he is not done with our church. He is Lord, he is King, and he has all authority. Let me pray. And now I speak to you, God. We recognize your authority. We are sorry for our sin. God, we are sorry for our reckless ways. God, we are sorry for questioning you. We are sorry we have allowed the ungodly to make a mockery of your perfect name, your perfect and holy name. And Lord, this morning we are asking that you would come and do a work in our hearts. God, will you sweep through this assembly and display your authority? God, I believe in your power to help. God, I believe in your authority to heal. God, I believe that you, have, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that some would find you this morning when they come and meet with you. God, I pray that you would have your way as we worship you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, God, we come as the church before you right now. Some are down front and some are in the seats praying, God. You, you know and you, you hear every voice and you know all of our lives, God. And we just want to dedicate these things to you. God, we're praying that your authority would lead us this year. God, I know as we are rallying together as a pastoral team and as a church, we are coming under the leadership of Jesus Christ and we want to do the things of God the right way. God, I pray that you would call us out of our comfort zones to trust in you, to pray, to seek the things of God, to come to church and come under the leadership, God, and I pray that you would lead us as a pastoral team under Pastor Rick. God, I know that you have big things for us this year, so may we turn up and turn out, and we, may we turn our lives back to you. As you move through this earth with all authority, God, we will recognize that, and we will look to the left and right and point people to you and say, look, this is the authority of Christ. God, we love you so very much, and we dedicate this day to you, and we dedicate our lives to you. May we pick up our cross daily. And if we do sin, remembering that there is one who speaks on our behalf to the Father, that if we confess our sin and turn from it, he is faithful and, we're, and will forgive us. God, thank you for that. 
Thank you for your mercy and thank you for your grace. And thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.